Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Danny Keith. And Danny is CEO of Cannabis Club TV. And we're going to find out more about that and uh, about Danny's background and about what he's doing in the cannabis space. So with that, Danny, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Bruce. I really appreciate the time. And uh, I think for once, California and New York are on the same par for weather at the moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we're, we're, uh, we're suffering right now. Probably warmer than us. <laughs> yeah, well, it trusted the all the other days you have you have us beat. So, <laughs> and I'm excited about this conversation because I think that the whole kind of media part of the cannabis industry is still kind of in infancy and still kind of developing out. And it's also an area that I think is is kind of suffering from. I think a lot of aspects of cannabis, which is there's a lot of big players in the market that normally would come into something like this and and uh, you know make big plays, but because of cannabis and its legal status and everything, they're kind of staying on the sideways. So it takes a lot of um, makes a lot of vacuums here. So uh, I'm curious to see, like, give us a sense of your background. How did you get into media? How did you get into TV? How did you get into cannabis? What was the um, what's the story? Well, for most of my professional career, I've been an entrepreneur and a visionary and, you know, really a problem solver. I think uh, the first step to any space that you go into is you have to identify the problem, you know, manufacture a solution and then determine if it's actually monetizable to kind of Fast forward to, to how I got to where I'm at right now. Uh, I was doing a, a four-year stint with the Golden State Warrior organization. I worked with their minor league team, the Santa Cruz Warriors. Uh, we instituted some digital concourse components to the space. And while I was selling, you know, six-figure gyms in the space on, you know, four logos, uh, endorsement opportunities, the TVs and and the digital concourse seemed to be the most exciting for those brands. So. 
you know, for me, I, I, I saw firsthand, you know, first of all, when you walk into any sporting arena, you know, it's 100 percent that particular set of brand for yeah. the entire time you're in there. Yeah. So that's for one. And, and so that just taught me that inside the dispensary, we have to say, set that same type of atmosphere and it can't just be a digital signage atmosphere. It has to be a, a television broadcast style atmosphere because that's that's what people are used to consuming. They're used to being influenced by content supported by advertising. So, you know, Tommy, I'm longtime family friends with the Chong family. Tommy approached me in 2015. Uh-huh. He said he was starting his brand Chong's Choice. I saw the vision of where marketing was going to go within the cannabis space, being that it was bookended by alcohol and tobacco. And knowing that that widespread marketing really wasn't going to be an opportunity, I said, hey, I'll start this dispensary platform and we can kind of work together. And then fast forward to where we're at now, you know, over, you know, 200 locations, 14 states. We have Cannabis Club TV. We have Harvest TV, which operates out of the hydro stores. And then we're Mm -hmm. we're launching the Headshop TV, which is going to be launching sometime in early March. So really what we're doing is taking a cannabis centric business and creating an alternative television market to serve that while supporting the brands that the customers want to discover. Yeah. So tell us more about your business model. So you're so you're you're putting the the media into the locations and you're out there finding advertisers and you're producing content. Are you doing all four of the or all three of those kind of parts of the model? You know, it's always a struggle to kind of really get people to grasp what we do. Even though I tell them it's a television network, they just don't get it. But Think about hotel networks. Think about television uh, content that's controlled on a level almost geo-targeted, right? Mm -hmm. That's really what we do. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to like the content provision and the like, you know, there's so many, uh, the same pressure applies to the content manufacturer that applies to the product manufacturer, believe it or not. Not a lot of places that these content manufacturers can deliver their content and monetize. A lot of them will be on YouTube or Vimeo or their own website, and they're having to monetize in line because YouTube won't pay out CPMs on cannabis or alternative. Yeah. You know, whether it's if it doesn't meet their TOCs, then they're they're not monetizing on those platforms. We saw this early on as an opportunity to give a lot of really great content producers like Civilized Life, which is a major partner with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just signed on Dank City and Super Deluxe and Mary Jane, and we have others in discussion. But this gives people an opportunity to have their content be seen and the inline programming monetization that they're applying to get views, right? So every day when a dispensary opens, we turn the TV on for them. When the dispensary closes, we turn the TV off. So imagine you're going into your house and someone's doing the programming for you and you just watch whatever's being put in front of you. We do a little bit more finesse on the programming side based on the the theme of that actual dispensary or of the other locations that we're in. And this gives the content providers an opportunity to get the level of exposure that they need in order to continue to produce the content. So we have a little over 50 channels in 13 different categories that range from entertainment to education to medicinal to what is this to current events. And you know it allows the dispensary to have an on-demand television network that they can select the channels if they so choose about what they want to watch in their particular location. Got it. So they can really dial in the content that's going to work for them as a brand and for the people that are coming into their location and make it meaningful and, and impactful and um, you know, entertaining at some level. Absolutely. And I think for the content providers, you know, there's really four pillars. There's content providers, there's brands, there's dispensaries, and their customers. So we try to hit 
the problem on all four of those levels. And so for the content provider, it's they need distribution. So we can provide that distribution. They mm-hmm. monetize their inline. We monetize interstitially. For the brands, we get a chance to tell their story and actually help create that brand relationship between the consumer and that respective brand. For the consumer, they're completely undereducated and, and a good chunk of them are not going to be looking at magazines, going to events, trolling social media, or going to websites. So we we have an undereducated uh, group of consumers who are who are curious and, and anxious to consume the content, so they can better understand what they want to purchase. And then with the dispensaries, that provides them the lift and the connection between brands that that are still being produced. I mean, I, you'll hear me say it a lot, but I believe the kings and queens of the space regarding brands have yet to be designed or developed. Yeah, yeah, and that, I think that's the general theme I've kind of both heard, you know, guests talk about, and I've seen in the industry this last year is, you know, everything's about brands and brand building, and at some level, you know, acknowledging or knowing that at some point this stuff is going to become federally legal, and and then the big brands are going to come in and start doing things, and you've got to, you've either got to be big enough to, uh, you know, big enough to survive, or you know, niche enough to be able to be sold and not just get trounced. But yeah, branding is going to be key. I mean, because people buy, consume, you know, from a major market point of view based on this kind of branding concept, not, not uh, you know, not based on, you know, the uh, history of sort of pop culture and people that know the products inside and out already. What, you know, I'm curious in terms of the content itself, how, what's your content strategy? You, you mentioned these different channels, the different programs, like what, what are the um, kind of facets of the content and how do you organize and categorize it? So, you know, usually, <clears throat> you know, we, we have the 13 base categories that we offer and then usually the content manufacturer, you know, glaringly falls in to one of those categories, okay. you know, a company like Civilized, they have five different channels on our network that ranges from, you know, did you know, to educational stuff, to entertainment, to bite-sized snackable content. So it's really, the content usually denotes the category that they exist in. You know, I think what we look for is, you know, a certain percentage of evergreen productivity. Uh, evergreen is a term we use in television of how much of your existing content catalog is refreshed every month. And we try to run a 25 to 30% refreshment rate. So that's that's the first kind of checkoff, you know, that we look at to broadcast into our locations is, are you giving us new content frequently enough to make it so it's not stale for the consumer yeah. that they're in? And, and we do have options, you know, because we run our own CMS and CDN delivery mechanism, content that doesn't meet that evergreen requirement or, or content that might be a little too racy for the end dispensary play mm-hmm. uh, will mm-hmm. exist on our website and our mobile app. So they're going to still get the opportunity to monetize their content while we broadcast them through the various channels that we have developed. And so it's, you know, we actually have content submissions, you know, weekly from people and we go through an evaluation of that content through a different series of viewings and mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. rankings. Like is that you know, like we, we won't publish, you know, obviously just obscenely bad words. We won't publish yeah. under boob or under butt. And we stay away from the political scheme of the atmosphere. Like we'll work with the state of California on a, you know, don't drive while intoxicated campaign, but we're not going to ever really, you know, during this whole legalization period and politicians running, we got approached, you know, we we get approached from out of industry people to run marketing all the time. Uh, We're currently doing a partnership with one of our uh, partners in Lighten uh, with Showtime. They're, they're promoting a new television show (laughs) on their network. We're promoting that them through our network. But we just stay away from politics, man. It never seems to really, uh, <laughs> you know, you're always going to get a division. And we, we want to be Switzerland, more or less. We want to be the mechanism to deliver education and content to the consumers 
where they best can consume. And, and we want to stay away from uh, ruffling any feathers. We figure the space we're in already ruffles enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just stay where we're at. I want to add one note yeah. about the big boys coming in that you stated a second ago. You know, the, the ironic play for us, most people that make some w- weird out. I was just in Boston. It's an emerging space. Yeah. I was at that trade show for NCIA. Yep. And, you know, the brands are all they're all worried about that. That's the hush talk all the time. Oh, my God. What if these guys come in? Yeah. And, and you know, it's going to happen eventually. I think it, it, somebody's going to have to let them in, first of all. Second, for us, it almost has no impact because the marketing regulations I don't really see changing with federal regulation changing. I don't I don't see that being <laughs> a s- simultaneous transaction. I think alcohol and tobacco are going to keep cannabis fairly bookended on the marketing uh, paths for them. And I, yep. and I don't, see that, I really don't see that changing in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I think you're right. I think that, um, you know, the, the, the federal um, legislation is, is causing th- these kind of vacuums in certain areas, but for someone like you, there's, there's other factors, there's other kind of regulations or, or regulatory frameworks in place that, that probably makes it less of a earth shaking event, you know, when, when federal passes, I'm always curious about how people kind of, you know, manage their business and, and what kind of, you know, numbers and metrics and stuff they look at. Like how, when you look at your business, what are, what are the key metrics? What are the numbers? What's the data that you use to know, you know, what's working, what's not working, where, um, you know, where you're applying efforts for improvement? What, what are the, um, what's the dashboard look like? So I, for a quick second, I got to go back into my past. You know, I, I ran a retail <laughs> business for 20 years. Uh, I've been in sales. I always get given sales pipelines and expectations. And I think it's really, you know, you, you nailed something that I, I use a term called KPI. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that's a key performance indicator, right? And so for us, any business, you know, my, my specialty in school was statistics. That's where I excelled in business math. And so I look at our KPIs are driven by um, how much am I doing per customer, per geolocation, and then how much am I doing per location in total, right? So okay. when I build proformas, and we're doing this right now as we build out a three-year proforma, I just went over it with each one of my advisors. The last advisor that I got to run it through is is Tim Seymour from Fast Money. So I feel like he's got some, you know, <laughs> some, some gumption you yeah. know, in that space. And so, you know, you look at the numbers and you go, if we do this much per screen and we grow this many screens per month and we retain this many advertisers at this rate, then we should do this. And and really it's about narrowing the the possibilities. It's about looking at the downsides. I mean, I just had a talk with Tommy's people last week and it's like there's there's upwards of seven or eight distinctive pressures that exist in the cannabis space that don't exist in anywhere else in any other business, right? And so from commodity to price uh-huh. to supply to customer to dispensary to branding to regulation to packaging, you know, so we can look at our sales figures and see where regulation impacted income or mm-hmm. testing impacted income or you know whether it's good or bad. And so, and or as states emerge and how those markets emerge, some markets emerge in vertical, some markets emerge in open market. Uh So the key things that we use are that KPI per location and that KPI per customer per region. That's how we know where our strength is. And then from there, everything else, you know, kind of follows suit in the trend. Pretty simple dashboard, but in the, in the long run, it's a complicated, you know, process to perform and project because you got those seven other pressures that are hitting the market that you have 
very little control over. Yeah, those are kind of uh, uh, existing factors or existing dynamics, and then there are ones you can actually change or respond to in different ways. No, that's smart. I think it's, I'm always, uh, I always love people that, uh, you know, look at their business as, um, you know, as a sort of mechanism that has inputs and outputs and, and there are things you can measure to tell you how it's working and, and where it's not. So I know that in the kind of this advertising model, um, there is, uh, you know, pretty good regular cash flow through things, but how, how have you, you know, how, how have you kind of built the business at this point? Have you, you've raised capital? Are you venture funded? What's your, in terms of, you know, capitalizing the business, what's been your strategy and, and what's your go forward plan? Well, I mean, I think I can't start the answer to this question without saying numbers don't lie, right? And so <laughs> a lot of things out there in the space, people are, you know, a lot of hype. I don't want to call it fake news because I don't think it's necessarily fake news. It's just people's perceived view. It's not an easy business to be in, you know? And yeah. so again, you know, I, I've done, I've had consulting businesses. I've sold media. You know, one of the biggest challenges in media sales and ad sales in general is the whole AR component, chasing the money. And so for us, you know, I, I looked at how can this, you know, if you don't sit down at the table while you're forming a company and look at how can you do business the easiest, most scalable, less painful way, because people get these like thoughts in their mind that they need to do something a certain way. And it's just to serve their own yeah. like purpose. It's like, what's the best for the space? What's going to get you to the end goal, regardless of if you even buy into it, what's the end goal? And so for us, we realize that cash flow is an issue for brands. We realize that how we process money is an issue for brands. So we we try to run, we run 90% plus of our entire advertising platform with a partner at Adistry and Snap Digital. And we do a subscription-based program where the, the advertiser logs in, they're able to check off what they want to do. They can stop it, start it whenever they want. And there's just a lot of communication and touch points. Having been director of sponsorships at the Warriors, you don't keep six-figure deals by selling them and ignoring them until you have to renew them. Yeah, exactly. And so we try to have a lot of input regarding monetization. You know, this is I've raised a fair enough amount of money over my time and I've uh -huh. done everything from let's capitalize a business from the start and let's hire 15 people. And that sometimes, you know, when a company grows too fast and you put too many personalities together, it can actually cost you more money than what you raised. And so in this particular space, because it's always painful, I haven't had to do this. I mean, I've had to I've had episodes where I've only been able to give people their money back that they put in, but I've mm -hmm. never, except for my close partners who we all lose together, right? Mm -hmm. I've never had to have to tell that some person like, hey, I lost your money. So for me and the way our team has built this business, we really tried to focus on, do we have a business here? Is this, sometimes you pick a problem, provide a solution and even manifest a monetization plan. But when you take it to market, it doesn't overlap. And so Man, the first year we were in business, nobody wanted to talk to us. Dispensaries didn't want to have nothing to do with us. Brands didn't want to have nothing to do with us. You know, nobody really wanted to have anything to do with us. So it took us a year just to get into these dispensaries. Mm -hmm. Then we got into dispensaries and brands are like, no, man, we're selling through. We don't need any advertising. What are you talking about? Meanwhile, they're blowing 10, 20 grand a month on weed maps. Yeah. Once regulation came into play and packaging came into play and more brands came into play, then all of a sudden... Brands started talking to us going, whoa, we need a mechanism that's different. We don't have the budgets we once had. Yeah. And we need to find a different way to communicate with this customer that doesn't look at weed maps, doesn't look at high times, doesn't go to Wiz Khalifa's IG or go to a cup. You know, yeah. These are people that are living their day-to-day -day life and pop into a dispensary to get their CBD or their you know, their indica or whatever mm -hmm. they're doing, you know, to kind of deal with their medicinal issue. Some of it's intoxicating, obviously, people want to do that. But the customers that are undereducated are the ones that are 
not living a cannabis lifestyle. And so we wanted to make sure that that our tool was that way. And then mid-year last year, we realized we've got a tool and we grew three, 400% over the last eight months. Now it's time to put a performance together, really tighten up the business plan and, and activate the different advisors we brought in at the right levels to go get the real capital to bring in smart people, hopefully smarter than me, to make this company you know, what it really needs to be. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, and I think this is a, a general trend the industry is kind of you know, grappling with or, or um, going through, which is you know, kind of the, the early users were you know, people that came out of sort of the pot culture, pot communities uh, you know, previously. So they, they had a certain approach, they had a mindset, they had knowledge, they had understanding of use and everything like that. And you know, as we're expanding this industry, we're moving into these you know, areas where you know, they're not as knowledgeable they're not as sort of dedicated or you know entrenched in this space and you're going to have more of this education you're going to have more sort of segmentation of the market you're going to have some people who are you know soccer moms who are looking for you know some CBD solution you're going to have athletes you're going to have yeah road warriors who you know are um traveling and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, this market is going to get more and more complicated. It seems like some of this growth or some of the benefits that you've seen is as this market develops. Is that is that your kind of your understanding of it? And do you see that continuing? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it on the head. I think, you know, brands are starting to become brands and have, you know, it, at least California, which is, you know, California, Oregon, Washington, let's just take because that's yeah. where we're the closest. And, and it's really, to be honest with you, the most that has the most momentum besides Colorado at the moment. Nevada is coming on, yeah. but you, states that come on after all the mistakes have been made, you know, they have an unfair advantage because they can they can grow quicker, more more efficiently, and with more harmony, right? Like we we've been battling it out on the West Coast, getting punched in the face yeah. by by laws and by just you know just the craziness that it is. I think you know the other component is you know it's a. Uh, Prior to regulation for most of these states, a lot of these brands never thought to tell their story, right? And so the ones you're starting to see emerge that are making big moves like your Flocana and your uh, Candescence, they're taking the time to tell their story. They've been early adopters of our technology, and they've really understood the power of video and the power of content to communicate with a customer. And so I think you know, as we go forward, you know, monkey see, monkey do, not in a bad way, but people are going to start to see what the trends are and, and what's successful for some brands versus other. And then that goes into the nasty word data. You know, cannabis, has <laughs> a, there's two words that cannabis don't really appreciate. And that's, and they won't say it outwardly, but it's data and science. Yeah. You know, like you know, those are two things, you know, everybody's relied on, you know, this is blue dream and it's got this and it's got that. Man, I, I spoke at a UCLA event in, in uh, the early spring here. And man, you know, the things that scientists are doing, not to bastardize the plant, but to actually enhance and pull out specific properties that help people, we, we're not, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. So I think for those luxury brands like your Candescence or your Flocanas or people that really get the fact that you got to create an image and an aura around you mm -hmm. all the way down to the functional brands not that they're not functional but the ones that are like cbgs and cbns and things that are specific to a specific calamity right or cause mm -hmm. uh, you're gonna see those mechanisms you know of marketing and development begin to mature like we've seen in, in almost every other aspect of commerce yeah, I, it's, the whole industry is like a, se a series of facets that need to evolve and mature and and grow to meet this kind of changing market. I'm curious on the dispensary side. I mean, having you know having a lot of insight into the dispensaries. I mean, it's the one thing that I certainly see. I mean, part of this is my my background's in architecture originally, and and looking at the sort of the experience and design and the um 
the actual in-store retail space. I mean, what's your sense on where the dispensary experience is going to go or where the customer experience is going to go on this stuff, you know, as, as it relates to, you know, education, relationship, advising, uh, the actual purchase process? I mean, where, where do you, I guess, what's your sense of where it is now and where do you see it going? Yeah, it's a, I mean, I, I just had this conversation. One of our advisors owns a dispensary in Long Beach, uh, One Love Beach Club, Jeremy. And, you know, we were just in Boston together and we were talking about, you know, dispensary owner preference, right? I'd say a good chunk of dispensaries are still one or two dispensaries yeah. of ownership, right? I yeah. mean, there's your chains and, and there's your medmens and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I think every dispensary owner always has its own, like Jeremy happens to be a flower aficionado, if you will, and he loves flower. And so he has a lot of flower. He still has edibles and tinctures and vapes and CBDs and other stuff, but he has a preference, right? Yeah. I think I think the consumer is going to mature. I think a couple of things are going to happen. I think the consumer is going to mature and then the market's going to mature to meet that. And I, And what I mean by that is, like right now, everybody expects to pay 50 bucks or 65 bucks for every, any eighth that's in a dispensary. Well, you can't go buy whiskey like that. So there has to be an adjustment of price for better quality product and lesser quality product because the blend sure. is really kind of strangling the space. And that's number one. Number two, I think dispensaries, because of the breadth of the amount of brands, you know, you're already seeing it in CBD. People are opening CBD only shops. I think you're going to start seeing just like you do with, you know, liquor, you know, you got the place that you go to that has every single hard alcohol you could want, maybe a little selection of beer, but every any bottle you need, it's there. Yeah. I think this thing is going to happen in cannabis. I think you're going to see there's so many vape companies and so many edible companies and so many flower companies that to try to get one dispensary and they're all hitting every dispensary. Um, <laughs> eventually you're going to see, I think it would make sense to me, maybe I'm off, but that these vertical style stores open where it's like strictly vape strict or vape and edibles or, you know, just reduce, you know, sometimes you have to lose some customers to gain market share. And, you know, when I owned a surf shop at the time, there was a big, you know, shortboard longboard thing going on. And we mm. chose, you know, I was younger. We chose to go shortboarder. And so we didn't alienate the longboarder. We just didn't cater to the longboarder. We catered to the shortboarder. And by doing that, we had a larger subset of market in the shortboard area. Right. And so I think, it should take that course. We'll see if it does because otherwise, I mean, I've watched Jeremy. He's going to be expand now and he's already out of shelf space, you know, with these products that he wants to carry. And so I think the market's going to have some corrections, but I could be wrong in three months. The way this thing <laughs> Well, you know, predictions are always are always come with a probability. But no, I think and I think you're bringing up a good point. It's something, you know, we, we generally talk about in kind of looking at uh, strategies for growing businesses, which is, you know, focusing. There's this kind of, you know, irony or this uh, somewhat counterintuitive logic, which is the faster you want to grow, you know, and, and the more cookie you want to grow and the bigger you want to grow, the more you need to focus, the more you need to zero in on, you know, a particular customer with a particular product using particular channels. And, and it's hard because a lot of people, you know, want to chase money. Want to, a lot of people want to focus on everything that could possibly be in revenue. And, and it's actually works against you when you want to really want to grow and scale. And I think, yeah, this idea that the dispensaries are going to start to really cater towards particular, you know, particular personas or particular parts of the market. And then obviously tailor their, their products, tailor the, um, the actual experience itself. I mean, I've, I've been in dispensaries which are, you know, high tech and, and, you know, lots of screens and, you know, beautiful displays. And then other ones that feel like, uh, you know, the back room of, you know, someone's uh, drugstore, you know, so it's, uh, I think there's, there's a lot of room to go. And I think a lot of, um, you know, building real kind of experiences around this is, is going to be an interesting the next phase to that. You know, uh, kind of back to the pressures that are on the market, I think, you know, to your point, 
around how things are going to continue to evolve. You, you got to, you know, I often tell people, beware of the shiny object and don't pivot so quickly. You know, with, to start a business, if you're not ready to be insecure, feel like a failure and want to quit, you know, almost every day, then you're probably not really an entrepreneur. You have to kind of have those three things inherently built in. And then you have to have the vision. And so, you know, it's a probably a horrible analogy and I'm going to get ripped for it, but I'm married. It's, <laughs> it's you know, when you're married, you're like, you might look at outside, you might go, oh, that's a pretty girl. But then at the same time, it's like, I'm not trading out what I have. For yeah, exactly. Whatever, you know, and so same thing in business. You know, if you have a plan, just because you run into a wall, don't pivot, don't go for the next, Next shiny object, you know, you just if, if you're just trying to appease your investors and stay moving forward, then you again you shouldn't bring them on. I mean, I have you know investor calls all the time with people where I'm like, hey man, you know, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. This is how much we've done it on. This is where we're going. You know, all I can ask you to do is be patient and wait and see what happens. You know, just like all of us that are going through this, and you know, you got to be able to be realistic with yourself yeah. and also know when to say when. Don't bleed yourself out to you. you're completely dry. Yeah. You know, it's the difference between sticking it out and just having your head in the sand too. So, yeah. you know, avoid bright, shiny objects. The, the cannabis space is full of them, yeah. you know, and don't pivot just because you, you know, kind of hit some challenges. Either try to go over it, around it, through it, whatever, but don't completely pivot, you know, because you may be running away from a great idea that's just on the other side. Yeah. So uh, I've got a curious, you mentioned something that I'm kind of curious about. You mentioned, you know, your investors and, and trying to communicate to your investors, you know, for other folks here that are in, you know, capital raise situations or, or starting to bring people on any advice or thoughts on how you pick a good investor, particularly in this cannabis space? I mean, is there things that you have found that have worked well in terms of building the right investor relationships, investor partners, given the nature of cannabis? You know, there's stuff you have to know about it. There's some complications about investing in this space. What would you recommend to someone who's out there doing fundraising in terms of, you know, selecting the right investment partner? So, you know, the way we've always approached it, the way I've always approached it in whatever vertical I'm in is, you know, I, I first, instead of going after whoever has money, like there's a lot of these, you know, opportunities to pitch your company in front of, you know, multiple different types of companies that make investments and funds and all that. And, and I think that's a great place to start if you have an idea and you're trying to find who will help you. If, if you're wanting to go a different direction and like establish a company and then go after funding, and then there's multiple levels of funding. There's, you know, founder funding, there's friends and family funding, there's angel, then there's your series rounds. And they all have different, to me, they all have different environments around them. And at some point you have to go for the money and not for the person that's investing because you have a fiduciary obligation to your existing investor base to make good on, yeah. you know, what you've promised them. So I think, you know, I think when you look at your friends and family rounds, um, you have to look at it as kind of like you got to be willing to look them in the face and go, man, I might lose this money yeah. and you have to be okay with that. And it can't jeopardize our, our friendship. Yeah. It can't jeopardize our, our future. If it's going to have any impact on any of that stuff, I don't want to take your money. So I think the first and, and foremost thing is that it's really hard. People view asking for money as some sort of a weakness. And, and that's not really the case. I mean, our entire capitalistic society is built on, you know, OPP, other people's money. Yeah. I mean, and so it's like if you are nervous about asking for money or you have a weird relationship about money or it, money makes you feel a certain way, you probably 
don't want to try to raise money. That's number one. Number two, you know, know when to stop raising friends and family and to go an angel round and then go series round if necessary. Don't keep going back to the well of the same people because you can't figure out your progress. You got to at some point have some an internal line that's set that says if we don't do it by this point with this money, then we got to we got to change directions as far as how we're going to finance this company or really what the future of this company is. And I think then at that point disassociate yourself and when you're going from friends and family which are people that you're basically getting handshakes on and you start looking at angel rounds and series rounds, pick mm-hmm. who pick who you would like to have invest in you, not just who will invest in you. Yeah. So, you know, I think I've listened to a ton of podcasts. You listen to Howard Schultz, who's necessarily the most popular person right now, but he launched <laughs> Starbucks and, you know, he had 400 pitches before he finally got somebody to invest in him. I don't know if you need to do 400, but it's somewhere near one in 400 that you're going to have to do in order to get funding. So if you're not used to hearing no, or you have a stupid idea, or I think you should go get a job or good luck with that, you know, that's another indication that you may not want to be an entrepreneur. So I think when you start to go from friends and family to, to angels, a series, try to control who you want. And then also, you know, don't pitch an apple to an orange, you know, make sure the people understand what you're doing so that you're respectful of their time and yours. And, and remember when you're raising money, it's not a sales pitch. It's an open book, right? Yeah. You're just to open your book and let that and help them comprehend what you're trying to do. But you're not set. If you have to sell an investor, that's probably a disaster in wait. Yeah, no, exactly. It sets you up for a, a difficult relationship long term. Yeah, I always think of it more as partnerships than than uh, than anything. You're taking I mean, on partners. I've, I've had sorry to interrupt, but I've okay. had people that have said they were going to invest multiple times. Sign the PPM. Uh-huh. I'm wiring you the money to go blank. And then I sent him an email like, hey, man, or hey, whatever. <laughs> if you're not comfortable with this, yeah. like, don't do it. Yeah. That gives them – I've had people say, thanks, man. I just – I thought I wanted to do it. I talked to my financial people. They get – you know, people get influenced, like you said, yeah. like, hey, it's cannabis. You know, you, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. So all of a sudden, a guy who was like all in or a person that was all in gets a little bit of advice from a CPA or a financial planner. And then they're like, oh, I can't do this. It's okay to offer an investor an out too. Yeah. Like – close the door. Either it's a yes or a no. Somebody's saying it, close the door. Sorry, that's just the last part I wanted to add about investments. No, I think it's good. I think it's good. So if you were um, an entrepreneur, you know, looking to start a new business in this space, where do you see interesting opportunities? Like what's your kind of, you know, as you've been in the business, if you've seen the market, if you were out there starting a new business, what might you look at? What either areas or problems might you want to kind of focus on or try to solve? You know, it's funny because I tell people all the time, we're just getting started. Yeah. But then I hear that question and I'm thinking, man, we're already so far down the path. Um, <laughs> Like this hypocritical statement I have in my own head, but uh, you know, I think you, you know, people. That's the number one question I get from yeah. outside cannabis space. Like, hey man, I see you're doing this. Like, how can I get in? Yeah. You know, and the first thing I tell them is like, well, you can always get in as an investor. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the first way. If you want to buy your way in, it's an easy way. Yeah. When it comes to getting in, I think you have to look at what you're good at doing already, and then where does it apply in the space, and and then you have to acknowledge who your competition is. And like, there's only so much of the pie, no matter what the pie may get a little bigger, but there's always a pie and there's always pieces of that pie. So I think, you know, I see a lot of agencies popping up, a lot of marketing, a lot of website. You know, I think we're, we're one of the number one challenges for this space is web. Like if you're not driving a good SEO program or you're not driving a good like keyword meta tag program and really getting that organic traffic because you can't market on Google or Facebook or other online properties, you know, that, that's an area I see as a huge 
need for the space. And and it's a hard educational tool to look at a brand and say, you're going to have to pay 25 grand to get optimized or however much. And then it's going to be five grand a month to keep it up. Yeah. And, you know, so I think business advisors, you know, the problem is, is the cannabis space is not unlike, you know, the late 1800s and the wild west. (laughs) So you have a lot of confusion in the space. Yeah. And that's why I really do like some of the shows that we go to. They offer panels, they offer educational that are all well attended. And I think that people need to look at the same business properties that exist outside the cannabis space and then alter them of how they best yeah. the outside the cannabis space may not need to optimize their website as much as somebody in the cannabis space. So that's why I saw the need for marketing and this in dispensary or in location television network as the best opportunity for us to future proof ourselves and be scalable. I think you also have to look at, are you going to make long-term money or short-term money? Are you just looking to pump and dump and make a bunch of money? Then maybe you join something that's already going versus trying to start from scratch. But if you want to have a long play and eventually exit or be acquired is fine too. Then I think you look at what skill sets you possess and how you can best apply them to the space. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that come in and say, "Oh, I'm going to open a dispensary. Or I'm going to I'm going to start a grow." And you know, there's so many more opportunities than than just that kind of plant touching stuff that that are available and 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 needed. So, Danny, th- this has been a pleasure. We're going to hit time here. If people want to find out more about you, about Cannabis Club TV, what's the best way to get more information? Uh, you can visit us online at cannabisclub.tv. You can follow us on Instagram at the same Cannabis Club TV. My personal one is at Ricky Danny on Instagram. You can follow what I'm up to and where I'm going. And then on LinkedIn, you know, I, I use LinkedIn quite a bit. So I'm on LinkedIn as Danny Keith and we're on LinkedIn as Cannabis Club TV. Uh, just to add, we are launching uh, two more properties uh, in this first quarter, one of them being Harvest TV and Hydro Stores and the other one being the Headshop TV into Headshop. So we're taking the same cannabis core content, yeah. advertising space and market, and we're just bookending it with hydro stores and head shops. So look for us to be in your head shop and hydro store here uh, by uh, beginning to, to mid-2019. Uh, Great. I will make sure that all those links are on the show notes so people can click through and, and get that information. Again, Danny, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed this. I've learned a lot and uh, really appreciate the time. Thank you, man. And uh, I look forward to hearing this on the backside and anything I can do to help you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Great. Thanks. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.